Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 125. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us for, I believe, the third time, if not more, uh, we'll just call it three plus times, <laughs> uh, returning champion, critic, and our friend, Ryan Swen. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. Uh, I'm very sad that this is the last season, but the quality so far has been stellar as usual. So I'm very excited to be able to contribute in some in some form. Well, thank you. I mean, we promised the audience that we're going out with the bang, not a whimper, and we're living up to it. We're not going out lying down. And that's why we brought Ryan back once again. Our double feature that he selected for us this week is 2016's The Human Surge by Eduardo Williams and 2015's Black Hat by Michael Mann. Um, Ryan, why is it this combination of films that you felt necessary to bring in the final season of Extended Clip? Sure. Well, when back in my first guest appearance with uh, your with the Testament of Dr. Mabusa and Unfriended Dark Web, I sort of cheekily entitled it The Way We Live Now Part 2 because it was because there were both sequels and I had no intention of making it part one. But since this is the last uh, the last season, I figured we might as well remember the classics and make this the sort of uh, prequel prequel trilogy or prequel <laughs> installment, if you will. Uh, and so Did I just want to say prequel trilogy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I decided uh, I just decided on these two films because they're films that I've been fascinated about for a while, it's, uh, and I think that they well they're both recent films, and I think they form very interesting and divergent sort of perspectives on the sort of modern digital age uh, mm-hmm. on this sort of strange form of existence. And I think they both embody this in-betweenness, this sort of state of limbo that, that obviously get played out in different ways. And there's also the group dynamics and the, and the fascination with world hopping, culture hopping that I think are essential to both films. Uh, very, very significant artistic merits. Nice. I think that's as good of an intro as we can get on that. Uh, Malcolm, had you had you seen the Human Surge before? No, but I I'd, I'd heard about it like when it got released on like the festival circuit or whatever. You know, I'd, I was always very curious, and you know, it's I guess you know you see the the cover of like a guy on the computer or whatever. You know, you think it's like going to be like a guy in a dark room on his computer type <laughs> mm-hmm. movie, and it's that's definitely not the case. And uh, you know, it, it's it's such a you know it's a very art house movie it's very you know abstracted it kind of took me a while to kind of get like a a grasp on it though but like i i was you know kind of thoroughly uh interested in all the kind of decisions that were being made and yeah i don't don't know it's it's good i like this decision you know bringing this movie because it is like i feel like sometimes with like movie watching it's like you want to watch like the newest movie and then like maybe you get like the classics or whatever, you know, stuff like that. But it's like, it's kind of for me, for me, at least personally, it's like, I feel like a lot of blind spots can be like, I don't know, like something like from like 2017, like yeah, an interesting right. movie that got released then because it's like the way I think it's just 
I'm not exactly going back like four years ago, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's well, like, yeah, it's, I mm-hmm. feel like yeah. festival circuit movies, especially of the art house variety, generally have like a kind of short shelf life. And I say right. that as like an unfortunate thing. <laughs> uh, a lot of the art house movies that were getting released when I was first really getting into movies in a bigger way uh, seem to be forgotten by now. And uh, just like, at least in the online circles and stuff. So I think it is kind of like. It has to do with the way they're released, of course, and uh, the way that the hype cycle generally right. generates uh, itself, I guess. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, Malcolm. Like, there's a lot of, like, you could even say forgotten classics from fucking the mid 2010s just because, <laughs> like, maybe they didn't get the proper distro. JT, this whole double feature was a version experience to you, correct? It, it was indeed. And, but I mean, I'm always ready to tangle with the problems of the digital world. I relate a lot to that. Mm-hmm. That's so, so much of my life is online and plugged in. And I mean, the human surge in particular, like, Dudes like gay for pay, just whipping, each, sucking each something? other off. That's like this. That's the podcast, baby. That's like uh, yeah. That's why we're ending the podcast. Is I didn't want it to get there. Sure. Um, yeah, no, but they were both it, it, uh, black hat. I had been meaning to for a while. It was just a matter of when and uh, the talking it up, uh, talking it up on the pod, shooting the shit about it. Perfect opportunity. Uh, Ryan, have you seen the short films by Eduardo Williams leading up to this? I haven't seen the ones leading up to this. I've seen the the, the short film he did after uh, called Parsi, which is really fantastic. It's basically shot on this in on this GoPro that's sort of like whipping around and like nice. a, a person like literally like twirls it around on a string at one point. It's just really it's really fascinating. Uh, digital texture. I'm glad you brought that up right away because I was just only going to ask what kind of camera it was shot on. Oh, yeah. Uh, because like so many of, I guess just toward my taste, my favorite art films, this has a formal structural gamut to it, kind yeah. of. Uh, it's separated into three parts. The first one is set in Buenos Aires and it's shot on 16 millimeter. The second part is shot in uh, Maputo and it's shot on this Blackmagic pocket cinema camera. I almost bought this camera. Like five years ago, I bought my little Sony uh, A6300 instead. But then dual process is that it is, I guess you would say like almost like a reverse telecine. That is shot on the computer screen by a Super 16 camera. So it's this dual process there. And then the third one in Bohol in the Philippines is a more standard digital texture. It's shot on the red HD cameras. So you have three locations, three very different filmic textures and three stories that are both connected quite literally, like there's a scene that connects one to two and two to three, but thematically connected, of course, by the isolation of the digital world, uh, even in places where you wouldn't quite expect it from an American point of view, at least. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting film. Um, we'll start in Buenos Aires as the film goes chronologically. This is my favorite segment of the movie, I would yeah. say. And you open in the dark, and uh, it's it's pitch black, and then you walk into a storm right away. And you know how if you want to read that scene as kind of the plunging yourself into these narratives kind of uh, metaphor, you can. But really, it's just kind of the shock of these settings. You know, you see our main character walking through a flood. And uh, you see people passing by look right into camera and you could tell that this is, you know, it has production value to it, but it is also kind of a fly by night gonzo production. You have a lot of people kind of looking into the camera seeing what are these people doing here. 
Uh, we then see him work at a Costco-like warehouse superstore mm-hmm. uh, where he is fired off screen. But right before that, you have this great like long take of him walking through all the aisles. And then this huge bag of food or something just <laughs> slams from the heavens down onto the skid that he's pulling. And it's just like... I don't know. That's that's probably my favorite moment in the entire <laughs> film. I, I hate to say that it shoots its water early, but because uh, I, I do really like the whole film, but that moment is just great. And I, I like I like these like introductory moments of the movie because it is like like I feel like its style is kind of like inviting you to kind of yeah you're you're in like in investigative mode. You're like, what's exactly like going on here? And like kind of like these these kind of like. Uh, I don't know, like these tracking shots, they really do have the feel of like you you feel the person holding the camera following mm-hmm. that person, you know, and in that sense, like I, I feel like, you know, it letting it not be so exact, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's doing that instead of maybe going like, I don't know, steady camp, something like that. It, it really is kind of like a, a stylistic choice that, I don't know, kind of fits with like kind of. I don't know, just figuring things out, you know, like, what's this going, who's this guy, I'm going to follow this guy, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a certain, actually, I'll I'll confess that the the handheld style in the first two segments almost, like, kind of gives me a headache. Yeah. Just because, like, (laughs) it's so, it's so relentlessly handheld, I I don't think it was stabilized, but I could be wrong, (laughs) but, like, but it's, uh, I think it's really great, and I think that it's really great because it has this very, which I haven't really seen in any other film, this very particular way of rendering these handheld following shots because for the especially in the first part they're very distant they're very far away so you don't really get any sense of uh necessarily like you're trying to like how most handheld will try to sync the the camera operator's footsteps with the um with the main character or the character of focus instead there's this very free-floating very very unpredictable sort of way of that in which the the camera sometimes sees the is close to the, to the main character, sometimes far away, and 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 sometimes even off screen, and it's just sort of this strange push and pull that I think really lends itself to the the fluidity that the film has in general for me. There's this very like in the in that warehouse scene, for instance, when, that you mentioned. It's the I think what really gets me about that scene. What I forgot is that at the beginning it looks like it's just a warehouse mm-hmm. and until you sort of come around a corner and there are just customers there like looking at cheese and things like that and it's this very it that's a very key thing that i think recurs throughout the f- film like this sort of sense of f- fading in and out of understanding and you, even the first shot it's like with many of the scenes it's it's shot in the dark and so you and so a lot of the time it's just a black screen or or what should be as black screen but you always get the texture of the film grain on there and so you it's moving in and out uh, as as you follow the character on his um on his sort of morning preparations this is really interesting interplay throughout this segment we see him after losing his job you know spend some time with the family spend some time with his buddies there's always just that little hint of online isolation kind of like there's a moment I think two different moments where you're in a crowded house with a family and he's just kind of in the corner on his phone, but it's not given all that much attention. Like, you know that this guy is the focal point of the story because we've been following him, but the camera kind of puts him equally with everybody else. Uh, We also see, of course, as JT alluded to earlier, the cam show that his buddies are partaking in. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Yo pasé ahí. Me, te, te toca a vos ese. Ese. And that is a, a really great slow building scene that's also sharp, shot very darkly and has a lot mm -hmm. of grain to it as well. And is just, you know, another way that people make money in this day. You know, you see them talk about how many viewers they get and how many, you know, tokens or whatever they're getting in uh, for. And, you know, the, the I don't know, integrity or whatever, uh, the, or perceived heterosexuality going out the window for a couple of tokens. Uh, speaking of tokens, I think we came to the decision off mic that when we end the podcast, extended clip will be sold as a non-fungible token, also known as an <laughs> NFT. A lot of great filmmakers are getting into it. I see people oh, get mad about it and it's like, I don't know, man, you know, these people are just chasing some money, you know what yeah, I mean? A little chase the bag. extra scratch here and there, you know what I mean? I don't, Bitcoin, NFT, we're all pro all that stuff. <laughs> I, I want to speak for everyone. It's, it's, how, it's like, fine. How does this it's sound fine. to you? Wong Kar Wai, David Cronenberg, extended clip, you know, it's just like, it fits <laughs> right in yours. like a glove and it's yours. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, he ends up working at a corner store after this. And through that, we follow one of the customers into the kind of bridge scene of the second one as she, or no, she goes into a house and then there's a guy in the house who's on a computer <laughs> and you get first like a nice split screen of like scrolling through Facebook while watching a cam show in the background, which I think is fucking hilarious. No, that 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 had me cracking up. This guy just watching porn, just like scrolling through like a Wikipedia article. Or yeah. like that. It is just like kind of like the kind of weird, I don't know, things you could do with the internet. It's like, and the kind of casual nature, which is that, you know, is approach. It's like, that's kind of jarring. And then it's like, you know, um, the, that cam show itself, you know, a little less fun is being had at that cam show <laughs> where it's like these well, like goofing in the beginning with yeah, their banana. You they're know? Yeah. They're, well, they're goofing in the beginning, but it's like, they they also just seem like genuinely just like, you know, yeah, not, they're not, not, they're not, not gay at all. It. Yeah. You know, not gay at all. You know, yeah. doing this for months. They talk about like some, boss some person you know off screen that's kind of like i don't know forcing or just you know paying them to do this or something like that and it is like both these like cam show scenes one more optimistic than the other mm -hmm. like the way it's you know these are depicted it's i, I don't want to say it's like a negative depiction but it's just like it, it is like it's, it's not glamorous it's not glamorous right. i mean if it's not you know it's not the most glamorous stuff you know four guys on a bed you know kind of slothing around um <laughs> but it, it's, that's well that's that's what's funny about me like like uh, i saw that like you know them all in the bed it's like they're just like laying around and stuff yeah. like that i don't know just kind of funny to me yeah just like kind of his view of these things and like he kind of takes the same approach of like letting these scenes build like kind of like almost like you know in live live cam show time mm -hmm. you know and uh showing that like yeah the the, the money that's being kind of driven behind it and like kind of people you know you get fired and it's like okay now i'm gonna produce a, a cam show or whatever you know i'll take a little cut of the tokens and it's uh you know people with the internet it's, i guess it's just you know you, you find yourself there's new jobs you might find yourself a, a strange new job you know doing some things you might not want to <laughs> yeah, yeah. hey man wave the future <laughs> i just like i like the the two cam scenes because I think it's like oh, yeah. I don't know no, uh, sorry. no, 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 no. no. I, gotta, I gotta I can't I can't do 120 that. episodes and we're still <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I think it like gets into something that I think is particularly like unique and depressing about like 
the digital and the globalized world of like hollowing out relationships and even like being like interconnected and like present like physically with other people there i know the relationships are more transactional and just like the way that sort of seeps in especially in the second one where it's just like it's it's seedier and less consensual and it just uh, erodes a nice friendship uh so this does take us into the second segment um that when the cam show goes full screen it eventually then takes us into that world and follows them on the uh black magic pocket cinema camera via super 16 <laughs> uh and you even get like a little bit of a, a bar on top for a lot of that segment that kind of looks like maybe the top of the monitor they're filming <laughs> or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, i i really love that though because what follows is them kind of walking around the streets at night you know mm-hmm. and it's really kind of showing off low light capability of digital cameras, but you also have that added 16 millimeter grain to it Mm -hmm. and the kind of weirdly overexposed or oversaturated colors that come with the super 16 format. And yeah, I I just think the the long takes following them walking around at night are really just like the most striking imagery in the segment for me. Yeah. I mean the, that transition from the first to second, I think legitimately is one of the most extraordinary things I've seen Mm -hmm in modern film because it's this it's presented as the continuation of this long take that uh followed the customer it's like it follows and it's slowly moving in on the on the computer monitor and as certain after it goes full screen there, at a certain point there's a there's a buffering a, a buffering symbol and and so when the image resets it like it looks sort of like it'd still be the like the shot continuing Mm -hmm. but then and it looks like there's almost like that sort of handheld nature to it like it's the move image is moving slightly so it looks like it's still the 16 millimeter camera filming but then as they sort of end the show and leave then the camera just moves up and it just it it just goes up to follow them for a good minute or so and it's just because it it feels like legitimately like the the camera has gone from argentina to mozambique just in in the same shot it's i i still like even watching it again and knowing how knowing sort of when it would change it's still it's still like incredible to me especially because it still looks like it could be the screen or like the the computer screen and in a sense it is because of that that 16 millimeter filming uh but it just like that way it it manifests itself it's still I, I still can't get over. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. It, it it's deserving of like if you see it with the crowd, probably uh, gets the art house gasp. You know, <laughs> like the, <laughs> that collective gasp that you usually get in genre movies when an audience mm. is captivated. Once in a while, with an art house crowd, you'll get that just at like a striking image or a crazy cut or something like that. And I feel like this is definitely one of those when it played at festivals. <laughs> Uh, I, I, an art house, you know what I mean. I, I hate an art house laugh. An art house oh. gasp. That's I think that I like that. That's yeah. good. You know, no, everyone's, everyone's getting fired up on like you know, just like oh shit, what yeah. a cool shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 it's kind happened. of a funny thing to think. Of, you know, yeah, like. <laughs> I saw that definitely when I saw Goodbye to Language 3D. There were definitely oh, quite yeah. a few of that. Like mm-hmm. when the mm-hmm. the eyes go in different direct or the two cameras definitely go in different directions, and so you know uh, your unfocused eye kind of sees both at the same time through the glasses. I definitely heard a lot of what <laughs> I think I, my goodbye to language 3d screening I feel that there's like some drunk unruly guy who kept like <laughs> kind of like I don't know heckling the screen you know I didn't appreciate it at the time but in a way I kind of I kind of like that I, I, I wouldn't want to be at the screening but hearing about it is funny <laughs> <laughs> 
so as we travel through Mozambique for this segment, there's quite a bit of interesting imagery. Uh, them walking the streets and seeing this video billboard uh, that they walk by, I think is like, then you have a fourth layer of video texture, I guess. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like this segment... I maybe had the least of a narrative grasp and right. connection to, but on a pure image level, just totally blew me away. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm Mr. Hollywood. You know what I mean? I'm Brian <laughs> Robbins. I'm Paramount. And, uh, <laughs> and like when I watch a movie, you know, sometimes you do try to like, you know, try to put, you know, these, where's the story? Where's yeah, the story? Yeah. Where's the hook? You know what? This main character's not relatable. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And it's like, obviously not the right way to approach things. So it's like, once it kind of gets into like that, you know, lull of kind of like this, you know, the third or the second, uh, the second of like two thirds of the movie, it kind of like, in a way it's like, all right, this is kind of like my opportunity to kind of like deprogram myself and kind of like, (laughs) you know, put away my expectations. And I don't know, just, just getting what I put up from that. It's like, there's not, you know, much like kind of like a, a huge narrative bond or whatever, but I guess it's like just a lot of kind of people in like the same situation, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? kind of down on their lock like a lot of conver- like the conversations people have in this movie are pretty much almost exclusively depressing you know? yeah <laughs> yeah just you know kind of sad either sad or like just kind of like innocuous like well you know, i love when the dude's complaining about his job and then the women who have been working there longer it's yeah. like oh poor you you only have to work for money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're having fun no yeah, yeah. exactly uh, I, I do love how it transitions into the third, the Philippine segment, because, you, you know, the, the boys are out on the, ta- not on the town, out in the woods, really. And uh, one of them takes a piss on this anthill and you, you're kind of like following the stream of piss go down the anthill and then you focus in on the ants and there's a hole in it and the camera, you know, however Williams pulls it off, goes into the hole of the anthill and comes out as the red HD camera image, uh, just kind of exploring the interior of the anthill until it comes out in the Philippines. And that one was like a lot, you know, slower and uh, not as like immediately gratifying as the first transition, but still, I don't know, just uh, give me the heebie-jeebies seeing ants that big on my screen. No, that was was crazy with it. It like reminded me like uh, the the blue velvet like ear Mm, shot Mm -hmm. thing. The fun textures oh, there. I mean, yeah. also Black Hat too. Yeah, where they oh, get yeah. through the computer, fucking information. You know, absolutely. What I'm talking about. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The information superhighway. Yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, that had to be on your mind maybe when you're choosing both of these. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. that that sort of sense of information flowing, and I think that something that I grasp onto a little bit more is how there's how sprinkled throughout there are these sort of debates about information and debates about uh your about people's individual perceptions like in the first segment uh some someone while they're notably sit while they're sitting in this sort of hollowed out tree they're talking about uh how how they think that the future of silence will just be this constant buzzing noise of uh, after uh the digital has sort of uh taken over everything and i think that those sort of um those sort of conversations help link them link these things a lot more and also something i like about the second second segment is that it sort of represents this move from the city as represented in the first part to the sort of rural countryside that are uh that the second part takes and even though even on the second viewing i didn't really have a good grasp on the narrative sort of progression because it looks like they're going out uh into the wilderness to to buy this sort of appliance of some kind uh, but it's just this interesting sense of a journey that I think gets uh, elaborated on in the third part mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like an interesting contrast you know what I mean like 
because it is like you know kind of like about you know like internet modern stuff you know information highway as we referenced earlier but it is like it seems like a lot of these characters are like retreating to the woods or like to like nature or whatever to like just go chill or do whatever buy something somewhere but it is it is interesting it's like there's so many shots of just we're just following characters just mm-hmm. walking into the woods mm-hmm. And I think that's where the comparison you see pretty often to slow cinema comes from right. in this movie. But I feel like this is operating on a different wavelength than a lot of the slow cinema I've seen. I don't know. I It's something about the three different locations and a slightly more active camera than I'm used to for slow cinema. And uh, the, the way that people interact with each other kind of and the different screen textures that you get. Uh, particularly in the third segment, the the proper introduction to how the red camera looks uh, after you escape the anthill is a, an image that is like 30% of which is a cell phone screen mm-hmm. taken up, you know, and you're introduced to this character by her texting. And then, uh, you know, she stands up, there's a police officer like hassling her about being where she shouldn't be. And then she just like follows a trail and finds like, I guess, family or friends or something like mm-hmm. that swimming in a creek. And there's some great conversations there. There's one kid who's like <laughs> talking about, you know, what his grandma taught him or whatever mm-hmm. uh, about f- and somehow like following beautiful women when you get lost comes <laughs> up. And- it's a good move. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's most likely they're going somewhere good, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like some nice event or, you know, <laughs> kind of like the North Star, you know, for yeah. anyone who's lost out there. Well, she does go looking for a North Star of sort, which is an internet connection. After she leaves this little creek with her buddies, uh, she is looking for an internet cafe. And we see that like the internet cafes in this area of the Philippines close early. And the internet cafes maybe are the only way that a lot of people can get internet, uh, it seems, in this rural area. And it's it's weird how, or not weird, I guess it's actually pretty fitting how this segment starts just like bathing in nature as much as anything else in the mm-hmm. film and ends in this processing plant of right. some sort where people, people are, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, not molding uh, assembling yeah assembling but like particularly soldering soldering, yeah. soldering yeah, yeah they're 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 soldering some sort of electrical equipment some sort of drive or memory kind of thing mm-hmm. uh and just seeing that and the the lighting setup on that compared to the natural light of so much of this rest of this film and uh the, especially as it leads into the the drone on the soundtrack that leads into like 808s that play over the end credit uh, is really just a fascinating way to end this film because, you know, you've been so as much at one with nature as people can be in the digital times while Mm -hmm. still being connected and then just going to the source of whether you want to call the problem or the future, you know. To go back over the ending, those those 808s that are playing and the strobe lights that come in, I don't know. It feels, we, we've used the term victory lap to describe end credit <laughs> sequences before. And this one really feels like an earned one as well. Yeah. I, I, I was really into that ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it sort of mysterious in a way because I, I couldn't tell. Uh, I think I assumed when I watched it first that, uh, that she was going to, that she was working in, the, in this processing mm-hmm. plant. But it looked like there were... Uh, that there, there was sort of like Chinese boxes around, so I couldn't really tell if this was another segment or another place entirely, or or um, or my previous conception. But either way, I think that there's this. It, it's this sort of uh, like it's bringing it back around in a certain sense, and you can see that with 
her trying to look for this connection after she's been out in out in nature and so i think that there's this like the circularity of it is both there and yet ambiguous in Mm -hmm. a way and i think that really typifies a lot of uh a lot of what really captivates me about the film um any final thoughts and a rating on this one for you ryan uh, sure. Well, uh, I, I think that something that I do that I didn't notice at all on the first viewing, but which I think is central to my understanding now, is that the that the three languages, even though they're very different parts of the world, uh, the three languages are uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and Cebuano, and those all have sort of roots in Romance languages. Mm. Like you have Spanish and Portuguese, obviously, and and uh, very interesting that that uh, Portuguese is the main one in in Mozambique, uh, and also uh, Cebuano has the the Spanish words, a lot of Spanish roots. And I think that it has, uh, I think that Williams has said that he likes making these, making these films. He's, he's Argentinian. He likes making these films in different places and in a sense to try to uh, sort of like depict different cultures and get a, uh, get this sort of national or, or, or no, sorry, international sense. And I think that still having that connection is just this really tantalizing, really interesting way of showing this interconnectedness that still results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll say four bullets. Uh, and I, think, I think that if you had to pick 10, like not necessarily the 10 best films, but like the 10 most important films and most representative of the decade, then this would, this would definitely be one of them for mm-hmm. me. It's, it's just so incredibly ambitious in its own way. I, it, it's, I, I would mean to rewatch it for a while. Uh, and it's it's only gotten more more tantalizing and more incredible for me. Yeah, I'm gonna go three and a half bullets. I uh, really enjoyed it. I think it like ends on a, a particularly bleak note, and I think like overall, where it uh, certainly shows like some of the ramifications of digital culture on the more negative end in in like areas of the world that are a lot less privileged that. I found compelling. It's like uh, I don't know the the dang internet. I I'm just pissed <laughs> off seeing tweets uh, from Donald Trump, and it's True. like I thought that was the worst extent of it. I thought my life was terrible because of it, but it turns out the internet has fucked up things a lot worse than that. Damn. And uh, I don't know. It's a lot for me to process. Malcolm, yeah. What do you feel? Um, Do you even feel anymore, or no. have you been on the internet too long? No, I, internet has kind of made me into the monster I am today. You know what I mean? So, uh, shout out. But uh, yeah, no, I think what's really interesting about this movie is like, because of course, there's a lot of movies about technology in like kind of explicit and non-explicit ways, even you know that are being made right now. It's or like you know you you see like people making COVID movies, and it's like that you know the dumb obvious tendency it's like oh we'll have like a zoom you know scene or whatever and it's like it's interesting to see a movie that kind of yeah thinks about technology in a way that kind of you know what i mean doesn't exactly put like american mindset first or whatever Mm -hmm. it's really like going out of its way to kind of yeah like show ramifications of technology in places and in ways you might not exactly think you know in that way, you know, just it got it got me thinking about some things. So, um, Eddie, well, what about a rating? Oh, you know what? You're right. You know, I got I got. I'm so <laughs> okay. caught up in my thought. You know what I mean? Sometimes I 
forget to you know do my job but uh three and a half bullets what about you thanks for doing your job <laughs> uh, i'll do my job and say three and a half bullets as well it's leaning toward four i think if i sit with it a little longer maybe watch it again it might hit that but i'm trying to be a little stringent with my ratings you know uh, yeah, I'm, i've been handing out fours like hotcakes lately and well wait no that's the I, I'm mixing my metaphors here because hotcakes sell very well. You don't have to hand them out. Um, True, but regardless, regardless, <laughs> nice catch. <laughs> I was worried that people would write in to the email about my mixed metaphors because people are obviously so dedicated to writing into the email. It's packed. Uh, <laughs> no, I think this is definitely one of the essential films about not just interference but the way that um, the kind of both digital kind of textures and images themselves and the uh, digital and online interconnectivity of people kind of rules our lives and is inescapable to a certain extent. And uh, yeah, I, I just also think on a pure sensorial level, it's such an interesting film to look and listen to. Uh, the long takes are mesmerizing even when they jolt you out of it. <laughs> and the sound design is very unique and strange. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like this one. So thanks for bringing it on the pod, Ryan. Of course. I'm very happy to uh, bring it on. It was definitely one of the – it was like a huge deal among a small a small <laughs> group of the of the wider uh, cinephile culture. So yeah. it's, it's always, I think, a film that uh, – that should be that should be seen yeah it's one of those movies where if you go to the wikipedia everyone who's quoted in terms of like response is like someone i follow on twitter (laughs) (laughs) okay uh we'll be right back on extended clip okay back on extended clip it's everybody's favorite segment malcolm in the middle okay. life is unfair i'm gonna throw a curveball ryan you can go <laughs> first ryan have you seen anything interesting this week sure i've actually been watching a good amount because it was uh, i was actually able to go to theaters and rep and in general uh so i i guess i'll talk about uh as part of the the kurosawa kiyoshi series that's playing at the was Fila's uh, three, and I finally managed to make it to that. I saw Tokyo Sonata, which I thought was uh, really, really lovely, and and really, I I think that what's so great about Kurosawa, um, and what I think people are finally sort of starting to get, uh, starting to get out from that sort of horror uh, like mantle that's been placed on him. Whereas even though he's a a very he's he's one of the great genre filmmakers and especially in inhabiting those different genres and and playing with those different genres is that the Tokyo Sonata has definitely has that and I think that uh going back to your uh last week's episode there's definitely uh, like ov- obviously people will invoke Ozu and that's not untrue to a certain extent but I think it's interesting that it's uh, this sort of uh elements on his palette that he's playing with like there are a few of those uh, straight ahead or straight into the camera sort of shots, but they're and they're used very uh, they're used very sparingly, and otherwise there's that sort of trademark precision that he has, and it's deployed towards all these fascinating ends. Like there's the the sort of 
incredible t- turn that takes place in the sort of last two last third of the film where there's uh where Akasho Koji is this sort of failed inept uh house invader that just comes in out of nowhere and it it briefly turns the film into this to almost like an evocation of the horror horror thing that Kurosawa was known for before turning into this sort of satirical comedy and and in general there's this very interesting melding of that satire and that sort of comedy of errors that also intermixes with the tragedy and i think it was uh it's it's just a really great great film and it just has that it somehow manages to bring it around to this incredibly emotional uh ending that it reminded me of to the ends of the earth a lot and also uh because i'm not immune from bra- bragging by any means uh, <laughs> i did see the just to wet people's appetite i did see uh the new epitaphone we said the cool memoria and it's uh it's incredible it's 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 uh, i won't say much more but it's just it's uh out of this world well you got a long review you can plug for that right oh yes i do <laughs> for for in review online uh where i seem to be writing a lot these days but uh it's uh yeah i, I wrote about it there and it's uh yeah i i tried to not to go to too in depth because it's a film that uh must be experienced but the last hour is one of it's one of the most focused and and beautiful and and strange things i've seen in in years great i i can't wait i've only really i haven't really read the reviews from tiff i've just i i skimmed over yours because i didn't want to read too much in detail and josh told me a little bit about it too and i can't fucking wait i mean you know a pitch always kills it for me so uh malcolm yeah what about you me me actually sorry (laughs) What? <laughs> what? No, I just want to say uh, about the Kiyoshi Kurosawa uh, retrospective and what Ryan said about him inhibiting different genres. I think even for novices uh, who have only seen Pulse and Cure, this is something that's overlooked because yeah. those two films kind of operate on other ends of like it, it, the the proce- crime procedural with a horror element mm-hmm. versus horror with a crime procedural <laughs> element. I, I think there really is a lot of there's a big gap between those two films and I think yeah. they're both really great, but I, you know, you know me, I like cure more because it's more about the procedural yeah. element, I guess. Uh, but I, I was so lucky to see that it, on a 35 millimeter print right next to that guy. It was beautiful. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Malcolm. Yeah. What did you uh, see this week? I finally go <laughs> you got any more insight to share? Um, <laughs> uh, you know me, I'm, I like, I like, good movies and whatnot but sometimes <laughs> sometimes i just want to go down to my local amc you know like nicole kidman and walk down you know the steps oh and all that shit. when you're an a-lister you gotta exactly mm-hmm. oh ryan have you seen the new nicole kidman i've AMC heard about intro? them i haven't i haven't no i haven't been to an so, AMC. Was it tears feel good in a place like this is yeah, that no, that's yeah, one of the good yeah. lines there's uh, two shots in there that fucking crack me up every single time the one of the projector behind her head yeah. and she's just like smiling like a lunatic like is, that's one of my favorite images in recent memory i hear i hear there's a worrying projector sound even there though it's is. a digital yes <laughs> <laughs> that's movie the, magic the whirring projector sound of her watching a floyd mayweather fight <laughs> <laughs> that's true she's just watching like movies from 2017 too it's um but uh, um i saw malignant by james wan and i kind of, i'm kind of two ways about this movie i'm kind of mixed on it because i feel like it's doing kind of what i want out of horror movies for the most part kind of finding new ways to explore kind of uh 
like uh, depraved images, kind of just, you know, gross out, kind of uh, confusing type, uh, you know, get the, 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 the watcher kind of in a, like a, a confused state somewhat a little bit. But at the same time, there's just something about how this movie is calibrated formally, I guess, or something like that. I don't know. It's like the color grading and like the way it's shot just feels, I don't know, not mechanical. Mechanical is the wrong word, but it's just, and it's, it just feels, I don't know. There's something about this movie's posture in tone. That's just, it kind of just misses a little bit for me and kind of takes away from it. But I feel like, especially towards like the second half, once kind of like more of the, the fun is to be had, I, I kind of got more into this movie, but I don't know, you know, and I guess with Juan, I, I've James Juan, I've always, I always kind of expect a level of comp- competency with him. Like I, I feel like I've rarely seen anything uh, very bad from him, at least in the horror department. And you know this this wasn't bad at all. Like it's kind of it's kind of good, but at the same time, I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I I was left a little unsatisfied, but at the same time, as someone who just kind of uh, as like a horror fan, I guess it's just like if this is like the level of horror movie that's being released once a month or something. It's like, I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that for sure. So absolutely. So that's, that's kind of my, my mixed review of malignant. I, Did you see it? I think, yeah, you saw it. I know what you mean with yeah. it on a, on a formal slash stylistic level, because it feels like it's building to not just money shots, but money sequences. Yeah. And so sometimes those links in between aren't so strong, but then when it hits, it really does. Like in the mm-hmm. first 45 minutes or so, you have that overhead of her running through the house. And then when she goes up the stairs, uh, it like, cause it's a classic overhead where it's showing that you're clearly on a sound stage, not in a real house, mm-hmm. you know, and you're breaking through, uh, the walls, like the ladies man or something like that. If you put the ladies <laughs> man on its side, you know, uh, but then when she goes up the stairs, the way the camera just kind of hops up, yeah. uh, really like, I don't know. It, I'm, I don't even know if I like that that much, but I haven't stopped thinking about the yeah. way the the camera moves from one floor to the next on that. And same with the really showy one take that I shouldn't really be all that impressed by, but I really was in the police station, uh, on the floor of the police station. Mm-hmm. And as we said earlier with procedural stuff, it's like it's just giving you just an inch of police yeah. procedural. It's not quite enough. But Detective Kakoa Shaw is a very funny character to me. I kept thinking that that was his last name, as if his name is John Kakoa Shaw, because he <laughs> says his first and last name like smushed together really fast yeah. every time. Uh, so he's a fun character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then yeah, just the last thirty minutes or so, once you uh, once the big reveal comes, I think it's kind of inviting you not to take it all that seriously and yeah. kind of just revel in the absolutely gleeful violence that's on yeah. display. And I like that a lot and a lot of people have groaned about a certain music cue in it already and i think it's so funny that i almost want to go back and watch the ending of fight club and think that i'll wa- like that more now because there is a kind of like contemporary electronic music score oh. version of the hook of where is my mind by the pixies so that's okay i was i was trying to locate that but yeah. it's like there's some sampling going on yeah here. absolutely <laughs> and uh it 
it cracks me up because they use it once and then they start using it again and again and it's just so fun and you know I was it's, there with an odd uh, I thought it was very funny I maybe I'm laughing it is, at it, it is not funny. with it it but, is funny yeah it's well funny. that's the thing because yeah. the audience I was with was laughing a lot too and I was laughing and hooting and hollering but it's yeah. like on the way out I heard a lot of people say oh that was the worst movie I've ever no, seen yeah, and I, I was heard- like we had the same reaction during the movie but I think it's good and you think it's the worst thing you've ever seen I think people are just expecting different things from horror movies no yeah I think that I think that's it too because there were people in my audience too like right when I left it's like that sucked like yeah. that was awful and it's like I mean you know even though like I said I'm mixed on it it's like it's definitely definitely I definitely not a movie I'd leave and be like oh what a what a stinker like yeah. like uh like you said like that last 30 minutes is it's it's a lot of fun so mm-hmm. See it or don't. I don't and know. even before the one on the floor of the police office yeah. in the uh, holding cell, that action scene is ridiculous. Oh, actually, the, actually yeah, the that's, hits in that one are bone crunching. That's actually yeah, that's actually amazing. Like that scene's amazing. I think it's like just a lot of like small details throughout the movie that are like I kind of take umbrage with, but like as a whole, I, I do enjoy. But those details add up for me. So yeah, JT, did you see Malignant? Um, no, I haven't yet, but I've, I've been going to AMC's a lot and, uh, getting hyped at the Belfast trailer. <laughs> oh boy. The boys are back. I am so like, I'm going to, I don't know what it's going to do to my brain, how much I'm tapping into Belfast mindset. <laughs> Belfast stock early. Find Belfast yeah, stock exactly. early. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to short Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pull it through for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, Another Dr. T situation. <laughs> oh, <on> no. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from seeing the beautiful black and white cinematography of the Belfast trailer uh, twice because I saw this uh, other movie, it's a, it's, I got a story for you boys. Okay. A story about being lost and found. <laughs> and uh, it's called Cry Macho. And I saw it uh, twice this week. I'll spare most of the details about like the movie I want I want to write something about it at some point because I, I plan on seeing it again but like uh, it's uh, I don't know what I wanted from like classic like late Eastwood it's like a really like I don't know gentle like intimate fun time at the movies full of like so much compassion and tenderness and just like while I definitely prefer the 90s like Eastwood that's about like him dying and wrestling with himself like Unforgiven and Perfect World and I will probably love uh, Bridges of Madison County like on that way like while late like 2010s Eastwood the screws aren't as tight um, all the time that's just part of the charm and like I don't know I feel like a lot of people are like guessing about like oh this is this is probably his last one or like it could be i mean i wouldn't they could have said that after unforgiving yeah no they they say that about like fucking everyone but like (laughs) if this were to be it like i kind of appreciate that it wouldn't be like a like a masterpiece or even one of my favorites it's just uh i don't know a gentle respectable work and i think you gotta you gotta come out for this one in the Mm -hmm. theaters because that's like it's the perfect situation to see this is like um, like I saw it on Friday night and Saturday night, both completely empty theaters, <laughs> like uh, six other people there. But the uh, second showing I went to, there's a line of three old people in nice. front. And you want to be with the, the heads of the crowd. It was like an old guy with like a sick mustache. He had two broads, one on each shoulder. Oh, and it's okay. just like you hear 
Like, I think the best way for me to do cry macho is hearing like a uh, an old woman say, uh-oh, every time there's a, like a plot point or a move. Yeah. They also laughed every time the boy called the rooster macho. I don't know why, <laughs> but like that got a pretty audible laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's great. You want to, I don't know. Seeing the mule with old people in the audience was was very enjoyable too. Yeah. It definitely enhances the experience. I feel like it's a lot of audience participation in the late Eastwood movies. When I saw Richard Jewell, when he starts talking to the John Hamm FBI agent character, the guy in front of you just goes, "No, <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to the feds, man." Um, yeah, more than anything, like I, I kind of, I don't know. I need to rewatch that again. I feel like I don't have fully formed opinions on it, but it felt felt like a spot day to me. Came out feeling relaxed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone who worked on it was relaxed too. My dad told me he knows some of the, <laughs> the guys who worked on, uh, you know, Transpo and I think one of the production design people. And he said there wasn't a day longer than six hours on that. Set. Oh, oh my God. Fucking that sounds like God. heaven. <laughs> Dude, this, that's the best oh. movie. That's literally the best movie ever made. Just yeah. On, <laughs> yeah. That, like if you, if you call yourself a leftist, <laughs> if you have like labor concerns, just know that Clint's, Six hour days, yeah. others are doing twelve. Yeah. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> um I I liked Cry Macho quite a bit. I think of these recent run of films, it's not my favorite or even close really, but as our uh friend of the pod, David C. Porter, said, I think on either Twitter or Letterboxd that What's great about it is that it is a thoroughly minor work from someone who has nothing left to prove. Yeah. It's a guy who's said all he's needed to say. It's a guy who's just going out on top. This is like the coolest Clint character. And by that, I mean like the most forgivable in any way. True. The the, yeah. the most just like good guy Clint character you can imagine. And I, I love that he's given himself that for a little swan song. And you never know what he has in store next. But uh I, I liked that one quite a bit. I also liked Singing in the Rain, the 1952 <laughs> film by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen, uh, or Donen rather. And I saw this at the New Beverly uh, just yesterday, and I was, I, I, I've been in a pretty uh, rough way lately. I, I've been, um, you know, uh, I haven't been taking my happy pills, aka marijuana. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I haven't been sleeping, had a lot of headaches, and just been generally depressed. And uh, also just thinking, you know, terrible things about my future. And uh, I was having a really rough day, and I almost didn't go to the screening. I was almost just like, I can't, I, I can't even get out of bed today. But I went. And I I had tears flowing down my face from the first number, man. It's just seeing Gene Kelly from the montage of him as a stunt actor in silent films all the way to the climactic Broadway melody, uh, which th- that set piece kind of has a lot in common with the centerpiece of the Judy Garland, A Star is Born, the way that it kind of eats itself as a musical number and ditches reality in, in any you know possible way just to go into the rabbit hole of the, uh, the logic and reality of musical set pieces in lavish classic Hollywood musicals. And beyond the pure joy that it brings, I think it's just such a high achievement of Technicolor uh, processing and cinematography, and it's also just such a high achievement of basically throwing a film together. You had all these old songs from 30 years ago that nobody cared about anymore, and they could make a cheap musical around and a quickie at that, and they turned it into one of the great movies of all time. And, you know, sure, it had the fanfare of the release, but that kind of 
you know, backstory of it kind of almost feels more B-movie-esque, you know? Yeah. And, and essentially, it is kind of the most major, minor movie of all time mm-hmm. from the classic Hollywood system, in my eyes at least, no matter how much I'll champion true B-movies like... Uh, I almost said black hat. Uh, uh, B movies like the black cat or detour. Uh, And yeah, I just, you know, there's nothing really you could, I was very, you know, uh, happy to go to singing in the rain and see that a lot of my friends on letterboxd also left very sappy reviews about how they were very sad and then watched it and were happy. And, you know, sometimes the movies affect us in the most basic way possible. And that's one of them for me. Uh, We'll be right back on extended clip. I'm done. You didn't sign it. Yeah, why would I sign it? Why? Because of the generosity of the assistant U.S. attorney in granting you a furlough. Both you and the assistant U.S. attorney stick that document up your ass. I'm sorry. Are you sorry? I insulted you. What are you sorry for? I'm not sorry. Don't think you're going to... Hey, you want to raise me up out of here, solve your trade exchange dilemma, and I get a furlough for a couple of weeks? You kidding me? You have any idea how much progress you're gonna make on a strike this complex without someone like me? Zero. This isn't a negotiation. I just made it one. Black Hat is the 2015 film by Michael Mann, and we're back on extended clip, by the way, as if you didn't fucking know. Uh, Black Hat is the most recent film by Michael Mann and will be his most recent film for quite a while as his next project is a televisual uh, foray, Tokyo Vice. Uh, but Black Hat is a 2015 film that wasn't exactly received the way that man's films often are, despite the people who knew what's what uh, taking to it very kindly. It's a film that's more of a, a globe-trotting enterprise than we might be used to from mm-hmm. Michael Mann. Uh, even the stuff that's stateside is kind of all over the place. Right. And it, it's a film that still leaves a lot of people puzzled. He then released a director's cut. It was screened one time in Brooklyn. Those fucking East Coasters get everything, man. In Brooklyn, too. They don't deserve it. Those fucking... I'm not even going to get into it. What about Queens? <laughs> uh, Staten Island. Where the king lives. Uh, but... Oh, no. yeah, the king, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Had to bring it back to old KJ. Uh, <laughs> but... The, the director's cut then screened on FX, including the FX logo and fades out to commercials and the TV 14 or TV MA thing that pops up in the corner of the screen. And so people still haven't seen the proper director's cut, but thankfully our friend of the podcast made his approximation using both the theatrical version and the new elements and new sequencing of this director's cut to create what has colloquially been referred to as the Swen cut. So Ryan, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your journey with Black Hat over the years. Oh yeah, well I saw it I think late 2015, which is right around when I was getting to films, and even then I did love it, and I had definitely heard about the, like I knew people who were at that uh, BAM Cinema tech screening and who uh, were able to see that that different form. And so I'd been wanting to see it for a while and I got my hands on a TV, on that TV rip sometime in 2018, 2019. And I just had the idea in the back of my head because it's uh, like, it's, you know, it's Black Hat. So it's, it's great in any form, in, including the theatrical cut, though I do prefer the director's cut for reasons we'll get into. Uh, but I had the, idea in the back of my head that those sort of fade outs are intrusive uh, to say the least it's just like you know just it's a, a strange scene and the quality of the rip is not that great it looks pretty washed out and I 
uh, like I have some modest personal experience in, in, in video editing. And so I figured that uh, I, I think it was probably late 2019 that I really got the idea to uh, try to make this approximation. And so I was working on it, uh, pandemic hit. So I uh, started working on it even more in force. And so I uh, decided just to, just to, you know, make it and release it. And I worked on it to the best of my abilities, um, which might not be that of a professional editor, but which I think serve as a good substitute. And I think it is, it, it really was just an interesting process and it actually gave me an even, even better uh, appreciation for, for Black Hat and for its, the kind of deranged way that director's cut is sort of assembled uh, and not, not in terms of the overall structure, which is I think perfect, but in terms of just different shot choices and, and the sort of strange, how he extends certain shots. Some he excises some really, really wonderful sequences, but also adds in some equally wonderful experience, uh, uh, sequences. It's yeah. And actually the director's cut, I think, ends up being a, like a minute shorter than the theatrical uh just i i don't know exactly how that worked out but it it it's it's quite interesting it's uh and black hat is black hat is just we'll we'll, we'll get into it it's it's <laughs> well i feel so like great. duration isn't really what man is going for with any yeah. of his director's cuts so many director's cuts are like 30 minutes longer or 45 to an hour longer and it's like did you really need it, you know? And then the man <laughs> ones really present alternate versions of yeah. the films. I was just downloading uh, The Last of the Mohicans, which is something I watched years ago and wasn't quite into, but, you know, I, I feel like it deserves another due. And the, the theatrical, the first director's cut, and then the director's definitive cut are all within the same, like, four-minute range yeah. of duration, you know? <laughs> and so you are really just looking for the small details. And, of course, man is a man of details. Mm -hmm. This guy knows more about every subject that he films than his audience put together. This guy like does so much research and is so dedicated to realism, which is so funny to say because it's also, uh, he's also one of the most expressionistic like genre directors I can think of. The yeah. way that he will extend time for the sake of the interiority of the character or the way that he'll break what you would assume is the standard procedural narrative for romantic flourishes mm -hmm. and the just general romanticism of man really contradicts so much of what might appear on the surface at first. And I feel like contradictory isn't even the proper word because I want to be as positive as possible because this mm -hmm. is one of my very favorite filmmakers. Um, also the way that he portrays, I don't know, the evolution of city life, the evolution yeah. of uh, the police's presence in American life over the last 40 years and his kind of roots as a more outwardly leftist uh, kind of guy who was making documentaries at first that are impossible to find now. <laughs> and I don't know, that, it, it, you know, contrasted with the very easy snap judgment law and order reading of his police movies, you know? Uh, he, he's just a man who is filled with as much contradictions as the cinema itself has. 
has. And I think that's why he's one of the essential American filmmakers. And so Black Hat, of course, has these two versions that kind of contradict each other in this way. Uh, you have the theatrical version, which it starts with the blowing up of the uh, reactor in Taiwan. And then in the director's cut, you have the boat being denied entry into a port, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, it begins with the stock exchange oh, itself. Oh, yeah. And then like... And then one of the first and one of the most key sequences that's added is this boat uh, carrying a ton of soy that's trying to dock, but it's denied because it's underinsured yeah. because of this dig- digital manipulation that, that is entirely intangible, but it nonetheless has this real incredible ramification. And so the the sequencing of it changes, but still within 10 minutes, you get this incredible uh, computer-generated mm-hmm. uh, sequence of what it's like to go inside the computer and across the information superhighway, as we referred to earlier. Uh, The way that he designs this is so insane because it's like a (laughs) racing scene. It's like an action scene. And there's all these different textures to it. And the first time I watched this, this completely grabbed me. And it hasn't let go of me since. This is still one of my favorite sequences in any Michael Mann movie. And there's no people or guns in it at all, which is surprising. (laughs) Uh, JT, how, how did you take to this on a first viewing? I mean, I was blown away. I like, I knew I was going to love it. I mean, especially like the fixation with the digital is something that like I was drawn to and I was, uh, I was saving it for a reason. Um, and I don't know. I think it's interesting, Ryan, like you, like the relationship you have with this movie now after putting together <laughs> the cut, I think that like is something unique that like obviously a lot of artists and filmmakers have with their own work because they're making it but like I don't know I think it gives you an interesting perspective on it <laughs> like dissecting it that much right I mean like it's weird well, well first man is as inveterate a tinkerer as as Wong Kar Wai so who knows there might be uh, like seven more director's cuts sitting in the vault somewhere yeah. but but it's I, I don't know like it's weird watching it because because well i haven't seen the theatrical cut um in a while and so uh, like i just watched the approximate cut that i make and it's weird like just experiencing it like it's even though it's i didn't shoot anything it's just because i did put it together more or less shot by shot and i made a good amount of decisions along the way and we, we won't get into this too much i don't think but but just like it's interesting just seeing all these like recalling where I got certain scenes or or certain shots and the sort of decisions I had to make. When do I, uh, in terms of the fade out, when do I bring the picture back in? And Mm. uh, there's especially one when they're first entering Hong Kong uh, where like it begins with like this is one of the scenes that's totally and also one of my favorite scenes in in the director's cut where they're on a, on, on a highway and they're, they're trying to lose a tail and it begins and it's sort of, uh, because of the fade out, because the the rating box is so obtrusive, for I had to just cut it off. So I chose to cut off at this when the motorcycle is just zooming by. Like I I, cu- I chose to cut it even though it was sort of jarring because that was literally the first place I could do it. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And there's like other things like the in that first sequence at the stock exchange. So there's a shot of of um like the the Chicago security guy putting. Uh, putting the flash drive in and then the next shot that is this interior view of the flash drive being put in that's actually from in the theatrical cut the 
the scene where where Tang Wei is at the bank and mm-hmm. and she hands the flash drive to that guy. So you can clear you can actually see that it's sort of daylight and, and bright outside. But he for some reason for some deranged reason put took this took this shot and put it into this uh, earlier in this in, in this scene literally at the beginning of the film. So like it's so I notice even though it's been a year and a half since I edited this all this it's still pretty pretty fresh in my mind so it's it's weird thing it's weird watching it because i feel like a strange sense of pride because it's i don't know my fingerprints are on it i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) you spent time with the footage it makes sense you know it's gonna it's gonna stick with you you know and like with black hat you know i've uh, my relationship with this is like i think i remember like i was getting into movies and i saw it and i I remember being kind of you know kind of confused i feel you know Mm -hmm. what i mean because it is like you know, with man, especially, I feel like people can talk in like very grand terms or whatever, or like there's like kind of a way people talk about them as if like you're already automatically on the same wavelength as everyone else. Like, of course, you know what I mean? And like, I'm on that wavelength now, you know, I get it, but it is, I don't know, it was interesting kind of like, you know, discovering this movie and discovering it's like, okay, people, genre movies can be smart or you know or whatever you know things of that lines or you know they hold value within like a certain film culture and then kind of i don't know just getting getting some more movies under my belt you know just getting that knowledge up revisiting it you know enjoying it a lot and so yeah that's just kind of my relationship with the movie kind of like grown with it throughout the years but it's i don't like um in terms of like in relation to like i don't know man's filmography i'm kind of like I don't know. I kind of I feel like I need to watch all of his movies again. I, I kind of need to reassess because it is like it's all up in the air for me at this point. But this one's this one's interesting to me, obviously, as you know, he kind of takes his digital interests and make them kind of almost literal in a sense. And like how much like, uh, I don't know, kind of like this disembodied kind of like this, uh, you know, the internet and the stock market and stuff you do that kind of just propelling these characters through all these different kind of situations, you know, with a villain, they're, they're not even really, you don't really see till like the last third of the movie. And mm-hmm. that, that's what kind of just got me on this rewatch kind of just like, I don't know, like I feel like, you know, the terms, you know, you, you know, people are like guided by lights, you know, people, they're guided by information. The information's mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, the map here and like kind of the just seeing kind of characters um, actions just kind of spurn out from that is kind of like an interesting way to uh, make an action movie. You know what I mean? Kind of Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, having, you know, you know, it's not Stallone coming in and, you know, you know, fucking smacking a guy in the jaw. And that's great. I love that. But it's like, you're kind of beholden to something you can't really, effect until you know you meet that guy you meet that guy in person you can smack yeah. him yeah. well only if you get close enough fast enough yeah. yeah uh so for a little more information if you haven't seen this film the the basis of the plot is that chris hemsworth plays nicholas hathaway a convicted hacker who is serving time in federal prison and after the cyber security is breached for both uh, China and the U.S., they realize that they need to come together. Would this happen in real life? Yeah. We don't know. Uh, but so the the major players here are, of course, uh, Li Ham Wang, who plays Chen Dewai, the uh, the like I guess he's a, he's a major, right? Or, yeah, yeah, or uh, captain, maybe something like that. But or he's like a rising star in the yeah. in the Chinese like uh, like 
military intelligence essentially mm-hmm. yeah and you also have on the american side uh viola davis plays an fbi special agent carol barrett and uh holt mccallany yeah. uh plays deputy marshal jessup who is one of my favorite characters in this because he's so great he's like <laughs> the most old school cop of the bunch you know and he is also seen visibly lagging behind anytime they run uh and it's just like breaking a sweat so quickly somehow viola davis can keep up but he He's huffing and puffing, which is great because man still, you know, he doesn't make a fool out of him. He's still like a highly skilled officer. You see toward the end when he gets his time to shine, when Viola Davis is shot in that shootout sequence, you see him just go like slow-mo headshot mode, just like put five out of the clip and you get four headshots out of it. It's just an insane uh, display of marksmanship in that scene that shows why he was there in the mm-hmm. first place, that he is so skilled despite the fact that Hemsworth can just change the settings on his phone under his nose. Like he hands <laughs> Hemsworth his phone because he's like, I can't get a fucking signal here. And so of course Hemsworth in that time, or we'll refer to him as Hathaway, uh, Hathaway in that time is able to change the settings on his ankle monitor. Uh, refresh rate changed from one minute to one day, which, of course, you know, this, this happens an hour before he plans to escape. He just knows that it's going to be necessary mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, but anyway, so they get this hacker out of jail. Uh, he was uh, a college roommate at MIT with uh, Chen Dewai. And so he you know, co-wrote something that was then modified to be the remote access tool that hacked into these, you know, spaces that previously couldn't have been or shouldn't have been able to be hacked into. Uh, there's, of course, the the spike in soy futures. There is the blowing up of a nuclear reactor in China. And it's, you know, uh, it's revealed officially later on, but right away you get the sense that they just want to get what's next. They don't even, Mm -hmm. uh, they're not even going after saving the reactor, I guess, or saving the soy stocks. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they just want to get to him before what he does next. Another major player, of course, is Tang Wei, who plays Chen Lian, the the brother of the Chinese official who is also... Ooh, of course, uh, <laughs> sister of or, you know uh, of the Chinese official played by Li Ham Wang, and of course the love interest of uh, Nicholas Hathaway. And I feel like if people kind of discredit the romantic plot lines of Michael Mann, uh, the, when they're missing the point, they really miss the point with this yeah, one, yeah, with yeah. their inherent disconnection. This is a guy who's been in prison for the last 15 years and clearly by what we see in the very beginning hasn't really been talking to people in prison either. <laughs> you know, we see him introduced uh, listening to some classic man jams uh, on his like faux see-through uh, headphones that remind me of that like see-through uh, plastic case that came with the N64 com- uh, controllers and oh, Game Boys for oh. a while as well as his stereo is like that too and he's reading Foucault uh, and you know <laughs> <laughs> it's just like such a great man introduction and he's such an isolationist of a guy and he gives a similar monologue that so many man characters give when he talks about you know I'm doing time the time's not doing me you know and uh, how he was only stealing money from the bank the people didn't get hurt he doesn't want to hurt people and we've 
heard that tune before, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's these integrity filled robbers that make the, uh, <laughs> the one half of the cops and robbers equation that man has played and tinkered with so much over the years that makes him such an interesting character, particularly such an interesting romantic character because the scenes of him, I guess, seducing uh, his partner, Chen Lien, are like, I don't know. I mean, in the director's cut, they're even more parsed down. That scene on the rooftop uh, is really just chopped to bits in the director's cut uh, where all they really say to each other is that they're going to China in the morning. And then they just start fucking on the rooftop. You know, (laughs) like it's it's so beautiful because man is that way with his action scenes, too. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. don't get the full lead up. Sometimes I, I wouldn't say in media res, but you start as the action is just hyping up you know you don't really get the full swing of what leads up to it because as an audience member you want the goods you know in an action (laughs) Mm -hmm. movie and in any kind of movie where you have these kind of very explicit and enthralling scenarios and images and also just as a filmmaker he knows how to bridge those high tension moments with the moments that you know, bridge them together for lack of a better terms. And the, the, the sequences that push plot forward. And I don't know, I feel like at this point he's so skilled at getting to the, the big set pieces that he loves so much that the info dumps that bridge them don't really feel like info dumps. They feel like you're just kind of gliding through this world through man's camera and editing, which again, his editing in this film is, so much more idiosyncratic. Like it's just so strange. Some of the choices moving from one shot to the next and how long certain shots hang. And you know, Malcolm almost a year and a half ago on the best of the decade episode, you talked about the scene where Hemsworth is first released from prison and he goes out onto the tarmac Uh, and you just get that series of shots. You have like his ear and his sunglasses and all of these strange close-ups of him just taking in this vast empty space filled just with like aircrafts that can take you wherever in the world but he's just looking at the empty space because he hasn't seen that big of an empty space in over a decade likely uh and it's just such a beautiful moment that just like kind of situates the viewer in how time is going to pass in this movie and how locations are going to change in this movie. You know, you go from there to Los Angeles like mm-hmm. this. Uh, you just, the the establishing shot for Los Angeles is a plane flying in the air, pan down and your characters are in Los Angeles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you talking about, you know, that like airplane tarmac scene is like, yeah, it's essentially one of the things I love most about man. And like, with that, like, I feel like Black Hat maybe more so than his, you know, his other movies. Maybe Miami Vice too. It's like he's very good at like capturing like a like in a like in a sensory experience or something mm-hmm. like that. Like the way you know the shots he kind of chooses um, for you know Hathaway as he's kind of you know seeing all this open space for the first time again. It's I don't know. Like you could like a. Uh, feel certain things that I, I feel like he's feeling in, in a sense or whatever, or I don't know, just decisions to go to like a person's ear or whatever. It's like a, I don't know, these decisions kind of, they give like a, like an intimate sense to the viewer or whatever, without even really having to, I don't know, like getting to know someone too well, you know what I mean? Like a, instead of like, you know, you know, Hathaway, he came from a abusive household, you know, and he, <laughs> yeah. he, he hacked away every, you know, 10 for 10 years and he got really good at this. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not what it's about. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of taking, you know, these immediate experiences and like 
I don't know. It's not, it's not like, you know, a bunch about them, but it's like, you're, I don't know, more familiar with these characters in a way that, um, allows you to attach to them even more. Uh, one, one of the great scenes that's like very dedicated to the man ethos is when right before this, when they are breaking him out of prison, not breaking out, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll say that to stick to the criminal theme of the movie. <laughs> but uh, when he's negotiating his way out of prison, when they're like, we're going to give you furlough. He's like, no, you got to commute my whole sentence. <laughs> and then the exchange of this isn't a negotiation. Well, I just made it one. <laughs> is like one of the essential Michael Mann labor scenes yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's just these guys have a lifestyle that they're attuned to, and it's based around a skill that they've been working at for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, another thing that's very essential to man is, as I said earlier, the cops and robbers, cops and criminals divide. When it's established that these guys used to be roommates uh, and you know at MIT, and they were hacking and coding together, and then the way they splinter off, you know, it's just like how different people have different roots in life essentially mm-hmm. it's a very basic truth but that one becomes a rising star in the people's liberal people's liberation army of china and one is serving a multi-decade sentence in a u.s federal prison says everything you need to say about the divergent paths of life in michael mann what i really love like and something that i think really comes through in the director's cut is that the film is fundamentally about like it i think it's one of the great sort of uh, like well like it, obviously man's professionalism and all that but i think it's one of the great international films and one of the great sort of uh capturing that sense of what it means to come together from disparate areas from disparate views and uh to cooperate and uh not to bring too much uh like modern or like you know up up to date sort of things but like it was interesting like watching the film after i edited it like in the midst of the pandemic when it was uh it would have been nice for more cooperation between the united states and china to have been occurring but which clearly did not happen and uh obviously like obviously that's not really germane to what the film is doing but it's but i love that it's even more hoxian than usual for him because he he gives such a good sense of what each person is is good at and what each person can contribute like the especially that scene when they're entering hong kong um when first um holt McCallany notices uh, uh that they're that they're being tailed and he is able to totally read it right there and then tong Wei is able to to bring them to a hotel where she knows people so that they can uh switch cars and it, it's just this incredible sense of information moving and people moving in in tandem with that it's uh and there's just like so much about that and also i think one of the one structural change that isn't really noted much but i think was very important is that is that uh hathaway isn't seen in the director's cut until like the 15 minute mark Mm -hmm. and before that it's all this negotiation uh between between the chinese and, and u.s governments and uh and them trying to and and chen trying to bring bring Hathaway into the fold and, and talking about it before before Hathaway is seen. And I think the theatrical cut he's seen like five minutes in mm-hmm. or like right after the uh, nuclear reactor explosion. And so I think the, the director's cut is just able to, pr- it's just so tight in a way. It's so, it's so logical in, in its progression while still fueling, like it, it's, it just has such a great forward momentum for me. And the globe trotting aspect, which I don't, which man hasn't really displayed before it's just it's so it's so rich and 
like even going back to like there's a, like clearly a very strong like Japanese influence on Thief like it's his debut and so and to see him like visiting these uh, Asian locales now and seeing him able to use the color and the sense of a sense of life in the city is is just really yeah. wonderful to behold. And it even starts with in Los Angeles going to a Koreatown restaurant yeah. for like with the the great you know scene there where yeah. uh, even before that the setup for that when they they go see that guy who I guess is dead from a injection of sorts and yeah. they're on his computers and you're kind of introduced to how this film is going to treat screens and how mm-hmm. man will sometimes shoot it from an angle or kind of glide across the screen mm-hmm. uh, in a very interesting way to reveal information just that little bit of suspense that you can build in a three second shot you know and uh, then of course they go to the restaurant you have the uh, security camera kind of panning back and forth to expose (laughs) that they're being watched of course very relevant after last week's discussion of the thousand eyes of Dr. Mabusa and I think that the surveillance I I believe actually Nick Pinkerton referred to the thousand eyes of Dr. Mabusa in his review Mm -hmm. as well as a couple uh, classic American noirs Mm -hmm. Uh, but the sense of surveillance and always being watched is so felt here and it extends all the way till the end where you kind of are pulled back into that because once you're globetrotting so much, uh, it's almost like Hathaway is the one surveilling more than anyone. Mm -hmm. You have the great scene where when you're finally going to meet the two bad guys, uh, you're going to meet Elias Kassar who you've seen, you know, be the heavy for the actual black hat hacker and appears to be the villain until you actually meet the real guy, uh, Sadak, the black hat hacker who just looks like a schlubby guy with crazy (laughs) hair. Uh, when they're first going to meet and then um, uh, Chen Lian is like pointing out that she had, that he has, you know, a a team of goons two floors below him and they're the ones who get exposed there. Mm -hmm. But at the very end, uh, not to spoil, but when an injured Hathaway and Chen are getting away, Mm -hmm. you get that great shot in the airport where it's just then the security camera pulling back in between very romantic shots kind of of them making their escape, just knowing that there's always going to be a tale. There's always going to be surveillance, even if they have whatever it is, 400,000 euros to take out of an ATM whenever they want, wherever they want. Uh, There's always going to be eyes on them. And that just, you know, puts this film into such a grand perspective of surveillance. Yeah, I mean, the like it like I know I talked about this on the uh, on the first episode I was on, but like this is like the like the modern Mabusa film. Mm-hmm. It's it, like it just captures that spirit so well. I mean the the one Mabusa film or one long Mabusa film that you haven't covered on the podcast, uh, uh, Doctor Mabusa the Gambler. Like it, 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 one of the first scenes is act- actually at a stock exchange, and mm-hmm. it involves Mabusa sort of min- manipulating the the price by by capturing and then returning this this secret treaty. Uh, and so, like, there, and the fact that the film, that Black Hat in the director's cut begins with this, uh, this stock exchange and this sort of th- empty space that then becomes filled, like, it feels very much in lineage in, with that. And yeah. Um, so as we kind of move along in the plot, it becomes more and more globe trotting. As more of the cops die, you have to just chase this rabbit further you know you have the great shootout in hong kong where both of our u.s deputies or you know the u.s deputy marshal and the u.s fbi agent are both shot and (laughs) 
mean, I can't say enough about that scene. It's so yeah. great. You also have uh, the Chinese official getting blown up in the car there. And I always, I don't know why, every time I watch it, you get two scenes before one of Elias's goons puts a tracker into his car. Every single time, I think it's a car bomb. And then you cut to Elias with the fucking RPG after <laughs> it blows up. <laughs> yeah. That always uh, uh, fucking uh, gets uh, me, man. Like man's sense of action, no matter how it displaced it becomes here, where it's like it's it's more sparse kind of, and it's you know a, a lot of the quote unquote action that moves forward. The plot is done through screens and through online mm-hmm. actions and hacking. Uh, the actual gun combat in this is as good as he's done, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like between that long chase where all four of them are chasing Elias's goons through that tunnel, and then you basically have that geometry 101 yeah. lesson where you have all the crates that the American and Chinese are hiding in and you just have those five like white pillars that those guys uh, the hacker team are, are taking cover behind of course reflected by a body of water beneath is just like one of the great setups for a shootout you can fucking get now I feel like that yeah like the action sequences here kind of like you know with the theme of kind of like you know, uh, computer information, all that stuff, hacking, kind of uh, propelling things forward. Like once you kind of get to this action, it has like a puncturing effect or whatever of kind of like, a, I don't know, the reality of the situation and, you know, kind of how much, you know, these things are affecting the real world. And like, yeah, like, I don't, like especially when, you know, the two, uh, you know, the marshal and the FBI agent die, you know, of course people lives are lost it's going to be a brutal scene but it's like there's something in the way that that happens you know kind of a detail orientated focus of just making those gunshots and that death just just punch as hard as possible yeah Yeah, i think that especially for violet davis's death there's this i don't remember who first noted but like uh like her husband uh died in 9-11 and there's after she gets shot there's this series of of close-ups on her face and then it cuts to this to to what's presumably her POV of this of this uh of the skyscraper and it slowly fades and then it cuts to her face and it's just this incredible uh it, like it like it sort of intimates that sense of 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 her remembering this this mm-hmm. traumatic event in her life and then it cuts to just this dead face and that was actually one of the I think that was the only thing when I was watching the film just to proof it before uh before i um, uploaded it that i like i had mistakenly put in the wrong like the the uh the rip the rip quality mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i had to go back and and change it because that that because that that and re-export it because that scene is just too uh too impactful yeah and yeah it's just like the like this uh, there's really i think as strong a sense of death and a sense of this weights uh, as in any of man's films yeah. and i think that it's largely because you just get a such a good sense and because one of the previous scenes it just has that perfect uh you can call me chica anytime yeah. back. <laughs> hola chica you came to me how am i supposed to do my work on an abacus or something chica am i hispanic what the hell's going on you can call me chica anytime you want that's just per- a perfect demonstration of how tight the group dynamics are and mm-hmm. the fact that it takes place in this in this restaurant that's just serving like these fried walks and yeah it, it yeah the, the, the establishing shot of the restaurant being the guy frying up <laughs> and just like the flames over the plate and everything and then the camera just glides along and you got the guys uh gambling on the sporting <laughs> event on the tv and then you have your team and it's just mm-hmm. such a great establishment of space and personality kind of yeah even like 
Chicago, where it's it's uh, he he doesn't shoot any exteriors. He's still gonna get in the director's cut. He's gonna get a Portillo's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> rapper in there. It's it's yeah. There's just a, such a great sense of 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 like communities and cities. And should note uh, for people in Los Angeles, uh, the the restaurant Hanji Park. Uh, in Koreatown is is one of my very favorite restaurants. Oh, it's, okay. It's it's incredible, it, though it's never as uh, as empty. <laughs> as it is in the film. I love that line where the guy basically says what any server would. It's like you guys got to order, boy. He's like, yeah, I can see you're really dying for space here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be, be prepared to wait there if, if you if you're gonna go. But it's it's incredible. I I would say be prepared to wait at most of the good places in Koreatown. Oh so yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> I've been spending a fair amount of time like just north of Koreatown wanting to very tempted to re-explore the area. So yeah, I I definitely have to put that on the list. Mm-hmm. Um now it's a harp on the death scene of the two agents too long, but yeah, the way the death is felt, I feel like the physicality mm-hmm. is just so strong there because Davis just gets one in the head falls straight down and just the the impact of cutting as she hits the cement you know Mm -hmm. and then also that shot of the skyscraper for the most part this is the cleanest looking digital that man has done yeah it it, it really he's advancing you know with each film but there the sky behind the skyscraper looks like that crazy gray oversaturated skies that you see in miami vice and a Mm -hmm. little bit of collateral too and it's just so like it's like shorthand for expressionism. It's like crazy clouds. I know I'm supposed to feel something, and I do because of the context and the way that Jessup gets taken out too. It's like between two kills of his own where he gets hit once, and then he's going to fire another one, and he just gets clipped in like the leg, and the way his body just flips upside mm-hmm. down from that, the momentum is so strongly felt there that, again, it's just a great reminder that as like intricate of plotting and globe trotting and cyberspace uh, of a filmmaker as man is the pure mechanics and physics of action were never lost on mm-hmm. him uh so as the the chase continues you know you go to um before you go to jakarta you go somewhere else correct malaysia you go to yeah. malaysia first and you have Oh man, just a color tone you haven't seen in the whole movie where they're in that empty riverbed and the sky and their outfits and the the ground they're walking on all are just like different shades of beige kind of. And uh, that's where it's revealed that this is his next big hit. He's going to run up tin in Malaysia by flooding it essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's... It's just so great. Then you go to Jakarta, of course, for the finale where you only have the main couple left. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but before, you know, the two agents had died, the U.S. Uh, had called for Hathaway to be brought back in because, of course, he hacks into the NSA's program, uh, Black Widow. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, what sparks the you can call me Chica any timeline. <laughs> and also just has one of my favorite images in the film, kind of a rhyming image with the internal uh, shot of the USB is when the NSA guy is <laughs> giving himself over to Hathaway when Hathaway fishes him, essentially. And you yeah. get the bottom of his keyboard as he's typing in his new password. Just so perfect for the moment. This is a big, dense, uh, uh, hefty picture. And I feel like that's part of the reason I put it off for so long is like, I mean, the text itself, there's a lot to gnaw on. But like also it's on such a large scale of hopping all over the globe. And with that, and like, I don't know, with what you were saying earlier, Malcolm, about like, a quality of this where it's like there's no real like sense of a villain for so long or it's like Mm -hmm. it's a very loose and like nebulous thing 
and how reactive the plot mechanics are where it's like, oh, we just need to stop like one thing from the next. I think, I don't know, man just gets the way things are now and then exploring the like digital and like globalized world. It's like, I think that's very uh, characteristic of like neoliberal like problem solving solutions mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. just, there's no long-term goal or like long-term like plan to like figure this out mm-hmm. and it's not a force that is like definite or you can put a face on, uh, but they're just scrambling to just to just put a bandaid yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this falls under the global not globalist canon that we, <laughs> we like to champion now and then here at extended clip. One of my favorite images is right when they're going to make their escape from Hong Kong, and out of Hathaway's window, you just barely see through the curtains a billboard for a watch. Yeah, and it's just that classic Michael Mann, you know, heat, time is luck, luck ran out kind of vibe right there. Just like telling you, shit's about to get very real. The third act is essentially about to kick off and uh, i i just love the placement of that billboard there mm-hmm. um the the jakarta finale of course is just wonderful you have that huge parade and you have the insane like lens flares off of the flames mm-hmm. kind of eating each other in a strange way <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know i mean i i go back to what uh the quote, the John McTiernan quote that was relayed by David Pryor on this podcast a couple of weeks mm-hmm. that anamorphic lenses are the greatest special effect there is. <laughs> and uh, the, the way that man catches flares off of that are like so great at building up the I, it kind of is a slow build to the confrontation of both. Uh, of the villains, you know, the the brains and the bronze, as it were, and, and the bronze first, of course, as he takes down Elias, uh, and just then when he finally gets to the, the actual black hat hacker, uh, the guy who's been running this whole thing that they're trying to get him at, it's like, what can you do other than fucking kill him? Yeah. Like, you're not going to be able to detain him. You're not going to be able to do anything because you're just going to get sent back to federal prison for the rest of your fucking life. Mm-hmm. So he just stabs him, and the sound has always stuck in my mind. It sounds like he's stabbing a man who's wearing metal plates, and he's stabbing <laughs> through it. It's just like this weird, like, clinking sound when he stabs him. That almost sounds like a sound effect that would be in Twin Peaks The Return or something mm. like that. It's just such a strange way to represent the sound of, I guess, a screwdriver penetrating a man's flesh. Uh, but it always sticks with me, especially the way he rapidly stabs yeah. him over and over. And then, of course, you have the airport escape that we alluded to earlier, the romantic, doomed escape where they're always going to be watched no matter what happens to them. And Man, I, I also love the final image. It's like it just keeps zooming in in mm-hmm. between the the couple and it just ends on this like ultra zoomed in out of focus space between where yeah. you get more and more digital grain as you go and then cut to black and it's just like shit man this guy always knows how to end a movie <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no that final kind of sequence where you know it seems like there's like a religious ceremony going on yeah. or something mm-hmm. it is like i don't know like for everything to like kind of culminate here is kind of I don't know. It's such a very different setting than we've seen, you know, elsewhere. It's not the stock exchange. It's not some weird like cybersecurity room where they're like breaking down things. It's like, uh, I don't know. It seems like it's in a way it's kind of like divorced from kind of like a lot of like this internet bullshit or whatever that they're chasing after. It's like, here's a bunch of people 
seemingly unaware of that, you know, just performing in a religious ceremony. It's kind of an, an interesting contrast. And, uh, like you said, like all the, you know, the flames and like kind of the, the visual things that kind of come with that. It's, it's also just a great kind of, uh, seasoning to the action action scene because like you said yeah some of like the settings here is like the action could feel a bit sparse but we got a nice crowded you know uh, scene where we got a bunch of people running around to to work with here <laughs> uh ryan as our guest of honor and the black hat expert of us all <laughs> uh any signing off words for this movie any final thoughts and a rating on this one sure i mean well uh first i do have to mention because this i still can't believe it uh apparently a, a friend of mine uh aaron he uh he suggested the the trick of of um like of a, a pretty woman bringing the the hard the flash drive into the bank and using it to infiltrate the systems apparently he came up with that idea oh, because man. yeah because he knew he knows people who were t- technical advisors on the film apparently and so he uh, suggested that idea and apparently got worked in. Uh, wow. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, I, I still can't believe it myself. Oh, he just told me randomly one Speaking time. of technical advisement on this movie, you know, man always goes very deep in his <laughs> research, and one of the people he employed was uh, to, to get some hacking authenticity is a man who was convicted after hacking OkCupid to make his profile the most attractive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that guy rules. Dang, this, the, the from incel to lady killer. Like, <laughs> that man's like, this guy obviously knows something. Yeah. He knows something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just uh I don't know, like one, one of the things that that struck me that's totally not important to the how the film operates but because i spent time with the footage and you know that tends to warp your brain there's this uh like i always find it fascinating that this that the ns or the um the chicago security cybersecurity guy robichaud he's only in like two scenes of the in the theatrical cut but he actually has a pretty substantial presence in the directors like he's he's introduced in the first scene with viola davis uh and and he is he's actually present in one of the briefings in the um in the in the department of justice office and he's at the the meeting where viola davis says of course the one of the greatest and most significant lines of the film am i being tangible yeah gary (laughs) (laughs) is this perfect it's just this perfect well, that that line is perfect because it gets at so much of the sort of tension in the film. But also, I for some reason th- that inclusion of Robichaud, like it just in, it has this interesting effect of showing the the sense of a group effort and a, a sort of group continuity that gradually gets phased out as it needs to be for uh, in favor of the sort of uh, man man sort of typical man hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's just this really interesting detail for me um it's and i think that so it's it's one of my very favorite man films though ironically it's not actually my favorite man film because he just has made too much great stuff uh what would you put as your number one and heat yeah still heat yeah Uh, i I go uh, 1a 1b with this and heat yeah it's hard to say this this could get up like i yeah it's no heat manhunter (laughs) miami vice this all like jostling at the uh, uh but like i think that what's really fascinating about it is that it sort of like i think that the something that came to mind for me while i was watching this most recent time that is that it's both the rats the remote access tool and the sort of confused overwritten unfinished code like it embodies both of those because it's on the one hand it's in the director's cut it's just so so precise so so perfect in its plotting but also there's just all these strange 
elements to it. There's this like, especially in the director's cut, because I assume that he didn't have a ton of funding to, to make a, a mix. Like it's, it's like, there's just strange lines like out of place and, and bad ADR or quote unquote bad ADR. And it, like the tension between those, it's, it's, it's like sort of in the middle of say like the, I think the quote unquote perfect man's like he and Manhunter on one side and the total gonzo unclassifiable Miami Vice like it's sort of in the middle and uh, and that tension and the and how it reflects that like the like what's so great about the last sequence is that it you have to you have to touch you have to uh you have to meet your adversary in the flesh in order to truly truly conquer or truly like get rid of it so you have to do it through physical tangible means as opposed to the digital ultimately insubstantial wave of of bankrupting him it's just this there's just all these different jostling elements and it's yeah it's five bullets i I can finally say that five bullets (laughs) it's it's a it's it's, one one of the one of the key digital films jt what about you um yeah i'm going five bullets as well it's uh i think we're talking about collateral like a little bit it's like i i just man is such a filmmaker who's worth his salt because like Obviously, like a lot of great artists, has like similar fixation, but it, similar fixations, and like it continues to dive into them. But he's so exploratory, and particularly with like digital filmmaking, it's just uh, I, I don't know. All all the good dudes are uh, like want to uh, push the medium to its limits and see what uh, new power and like potential is present there. And just this is kind of like more of like a stray thing, but it's like. Like hacker names, like a like ghost man or whatnot. Yeah. It's basically like a username kind yeah. of, but it's just like it sounds a lot more like if someone just sent me like piss off and die, tall boy, thin legs. <laughs> that's a lot less like dramatic and cool. Like I want like I want to like go. I want like a hacker name that yeah. I could be mm-hmm. identified with. <laughs> the White Morpheus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm, what about you? I'm gonna go four and a half bullets. Uh, yeah, I mean this is this movie. You know. Hey, you left. Uh, you left something. You left oh. half a bullet. Oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, knew, I knew. I knew it'd be controversial, but five bullets for me. It's a little, hard, little harder to come by. It's a little. I'm not as easy as some others. Uh, no, I. I mean, you know, we don't need to talk about half bullet bullet. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's a great rating. You get four and a half bullets on a movie. That's a fucking great movie. Yeah. And uh, um, Black Cat is a great movie. Uh, yeah, kind of. I don't know. Man, kind of continuing down kind of like uh his digital obsession to kind of make a movie about you know the digital world i you know i I think it's a natural progression and i think this movie's you know what i mean a lot smarter uh, than people give it credit for uh, because of course the man fans are gonna you know they're all frothing at the mouth already you don't need to convince them you know what i mean but you know just from an outside perspective i feel like people kind of see like the hemsworth performance it's kind of like He's kind of. I think I mentioned Stallone before. He's he's literally giving like a Stallone accent in this <laughs> yeah. movie, which is one of my favorite parts of it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Like I think like Hemsworth's performance is good within this framework because it is like it is like a little bit strange, I guess. But like I don't. It's it's interesting. And uh, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of running out of thoughts to say about it's this all movie. Good. Save it for the yeah, Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Save your energy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going five bullets. I mean, there's nothing easier in my life to do. Uh, I think. <laughs> no, I think over the years it was three and a half, four and a half, four and a half, five. Maybe yeah. like, those are the best movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was actually like the maybe the first Michael Mann movie I saw back mm-hmm. in 2015 when I really didn't know shit about genre filmmaking. You know, I kind of, I had a weird way in where I, I liked a lot of TV and comedy and like, so I watched a lot of comedy films and then when I realized I need to go back for the classics, I just immediately went to like Tarkovsky and mm-hmm. Godard and stuff like that. And so I kind of let genre films go by the wayside until maybe 2016. Uh, but man has been kind of reflective of my journey through cinephilia in an interesting way in a similar way of tom anderson's film that we'll talk about Mm -hmm. on the patreon but uh, i i feel like there's just more to it every single time i go back to one of his films and this is like the greatest example of it because if you show it to a general audience i guess maybe it's the the narratively least satisfactory man film uh, according to how people took to it You know, I wouldn't say that, but uh, others would. But I think that just speaks to how much deeper he's working, how he's already mastered uh, genre narrative and romance to the fact where or to the point where he has his own shorthand for these kind of things. And you just get it if you've seen other man films. And so while he's operating on this shorthand uh, for a lot of narrative and visual stuff, he's just exploring new territory. And I feel like this one, he's really pushing the envelope even further than he did with his other digital experiments. And it's just one of the great films. So a full five bullets for me. And I think that is going to slam the lid on this week's <laughs> episode of Extended Clip as I steal a phrase over and over from an old-timey radio show. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was Bob Grant who used to say that. Bob Grant. <laughs> hey, legends respect <laughs> legends. Bob uh, Grant, either Bob listening. Grant or Art Belt. Well, they're both dead. But <laughs> <laughs> If you're listening from up above. <laughs> uh, regardless, uh, there's no emails this week, so that's going to do it. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on again. You were our first guest for a reason, and I'm so happy every time you come back on the pod. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I think that my voice will be present again, so I'm, it's not... It's not the final goodbye. Don't yet. say goodbye yet. Au yeah. revoir. <laughs> here's to hoping it's not goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even when it, it it all ends, you know, don't say goodbye. Say see you again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Malcolm, I understand you haven't exactly planned out next week's episode to a T. No, not exactly. Okay. But shut up. But that's it. But it will. No, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. fine. End the episode. Uh, no, I mean, we, uh, uh, we're doing a lot of returning champions on the final season, but hey, how about a new voice? Well, yeah. We'll, we need to We'll work out the details. Work out the details. Yeah. I, I haven't, you know. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Am I being tangible? Gary? <laughs>